absolutely. It depends on the uh, COR of the flagstick, so the Coefficient Restitution flagstick. In U.S. Opens, I'll take it out, and uh, every other tour event, when it's uh, fiberglass, I'll leave it in and bounce that ball against the flagstick if I need to. Welcome back, podcast patrons, to another episode of Leave the Pin Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Dan, and we've got one of my favorite sport writers on the show today. We've got Mr. Jason Sobel. Uh, ex-ESPN, ex-Golf Channel, working out of the Action Network right now, giving you all the information you need about gambling scenarios, et cetera, et cetera, in golf. Even though in this day and age, there's not much going on. My man Jason has still been able to find something out there. Jason, what's the good word? What's happening, Dan? Thanks for having me on. Uh, good morning to you. And uh, yeah, I've done a podcast in at least like six hours, so I'm excited. <laughs> it's It's so- funny. It's like, you know, hey, everyone's got this downtime. It's like, hey, let's do podcasts. So I know you've been doing yours for a little while now, so you're ahead of the curve, uh, so to speak. But yeah, everyone's trying to jump into the game now. Yeah, it's it's uh, very muddied waters now. But you know what? You know, the more competition, the better. It kind of keeps you on your toes and and helps you, uh, you know, up your game a little bit. Absolutely. Hey, so you're with the Action Network right now. I want to jump into something that's super topical. Um, I've got a friend that plays out. Uh, on the the women's tours out in Arizona, which is like the only golf going on right now. And you just did a piece on the Action Network on the Outlaw Tour. Yeah. Uh, the betting guide, right? Odds and previews for that, for the Arrowhead Classic out there. How odd is that for you to be going from basically, you know, PGA Tour writing um, to a, a tour that literally maybe only the hardest of hardcore golf nerds knows about? I don't think people quite understand sort of exactly what this is that they might be betting on, might be playing uh, DFS lineups in. Um, this is basically a glorified money game. I mean, this is guys who, yeah, they pay. It's, you know, seven, eight hundred bucks to get into each event. It's three rounds. But uh, this is not like one step removed from the PGA Tour. This is like six steps removed from the PGA Tour. Uh, Alex Chaka has played the last couple of weeks. But other than that, most even diehard golf fans have never heard of these guys. If you had told me a month ago that I would be breaking down outlaw tour fields, I, I wrote first line of my piece. I wrote, I had never heard of the outlaw tour a month ago, let alone breaking down fields. And yet it was kind of fun. Gave me something to do this weekend. I spoke to uh, some people I know out in Arizona who know some of the players, know the course a little bit and was able to, uh, to glean some information besides just looking at stats and numbers and things like that. So um, I wound up writing 1,600 words on the Outlaw Tours Arrowhead Classic, and my guess is that if this goes okay and you know they play and continue to play and nobody else is playing starting next week, that um, I'll, I'll keep doing it, and I'll wind up being an Outlaw Tour expert uh, in the next couple of months. But um, why not? Get, give people something to get excited about. I love the fact that you can make lineups on DraftKings for DFS. I love the fact that you can bet on this stuff. I have no idea how those guys are going about uh, getting the odds or filling out salaries for these players on DFS. But I love the fact that they're doing it. At least it gives us something, man. I I did it last week. I did some DFS lineups uh, for the Outlaw Tour last week. And uh, just looking at my own lineups, just at at the end of the day, it's not really updating live, but at the end of the day, you just look at all of a sudden like, okay, this guy is in eighth place. This guy's in second place. Like, cool. I had something. I, I won a little. I lost a little. Whatever. I felt the action a little bit. And that's something that we've missed for the last month or two. Yeah, it's it's definitely stimulating that golf itch that that everybody has, right? And and you mentioned that before this you hadn't heard of it. I I really hate to put it out there 
and, and let people know that I know of this tour. Um, <laughs> not only do I know of it, I know some people playing on it, and I know some caddies that have been out there. So I, I always try to hide my golf nerddom a little bit or how kind of like deep into it I am. Um, but I'm just going to blow the cover on it right now. It's funny because you mentioned Alex. It. Yeah, I guess. Um, I don't know if that shows that I'm deeply dedicated to it or I just have way too much time on my hands the last month and a half. <laughs> I will tell you, Dan, I, I play golf at, at my club, at, uh, West Orange Country Club, like just outside of Orlando, with a bunch of guys who play mini tour stuff. Chris Couch, who's become sort of a legend around here based on the fact that he wins three times a week on these mini tours, uh, you know, former PGA Tour champion. Obviously, he's been a really good player for a long time. I, I know Chris fairly well. He's at our club, and I, I play. I mean, I'm on a group text with eight, nine, ten guys who are playing these mini tour events. And I'm, I told them the other day, I said, I need you guys getting on DraftKings. I, I Maybe I'll try to make this happen somehow, but um, I could have some very good inside info if they ever went from the Phoenix area to the Orlando area and started uh, picking on these tours a little bit instead. Yeah, you'd be so ahead of the curve. It would be absolutely insane. Um, yeah. Now, any any uh, any inkling to do any of the women's tours that are going on down there? Um, like I mentioned before, one of my friends, Haley Moore, uh, she's LPGA rookie, but she's been down because she's from that area, and yep. she's been playing these mini tours for the last month or so. And what's crazy, and what she told me, which I just find absolutely insane in today's you know topsy turvy world, this day and age. So those mini tours, like you mentioned, are five, six hundred dollar entry fees, right? Guys play for fifteen, sixteen, maybe two grand winners purse. Um, you know, there's no ranking points or anything like that. So the tour down there for her was basically all these like class A PGA professionals, you know, some some kind of mini tour girls here or there that have full time jobs that are doing, you know, the side tours as a little way to make some extra cash. Now what it's turned out to be is this influx of LPGA players that live down there that are yeah. like taking over all these mini tours. It's insane. And why not? They should. Uh, I've spoken with a couple of PGA tour players who uh, either live in Arizona or are going to travel to Arizona just to like get in some play. They live in a place where uh, their club isn't open. No other courses are open. And they just want to go play a little bit. And so I, I would not be surprised to see in the next few weeks, Tours like the Outlaw Tour, like the uh, the ladies tour that's playing out in Arizona as well, uh, all of a sudden see a lot more big names out there. And Haley Moore's playing great. Yeah, I've, I've thought about doing the women. I'm sort of like slowly working my way up because, I mean, it's one thing to just say, hey, go write about that. Okay, cool. I mean, you know, I, I can kind of figure out how to write on most stuff. You ask me to write any sort of preview article on the PGA Tour, European Tour, like, yeah, I you know, I'll do some research, but I can pretty much grind it out uh, – with prior knowledge that said this takes a couple of steps you know so i've I've kind of ingrained myself in the uh in the outlaw tour right now i'm you know i can talk about some of these players as if i've been watching them for the last five years uh now i'll start to get into the ladies tour as well and 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 see what i can do there but um it, it's not as if i've got any sort of prior knowledge so i've got really got to do my research and talk to some people do the guys down there understand kind of the wave of what's happening on, on their little tour? Do they understand the the kind of uh, movement that this is is becoming, that this is the only organized professional golf that's going on right now? Yeah, so I spoke with Carson Roberts, who's a really nice kid, 24-year-old kid who uh, grew up in Conway, Arkansas, didn't make his high school roster until his senior year, went to Washburn University, which is where Gary Woodland played some college hoops 
in Topeka, Kansas, and didn't make his college roster, or at least the starting lineup, until his junior year. So as he said, he's a late bloomer. He won last week his first career professional win on the Outlaw Tour and spoke with him, and he said, you know, I, it's just funny. We joke around about it. Like, hey, people are betting on us. They're like, how do they have any idea who's good and who's not good and what we're going to do on any given day? Like, we don't know. We're just going out here. Like, you know, they're, I'm sure like any other mini tour, these guys are, uh, are practicing together. They're playing uh, rounds on non-tournament days together, throw a little money in there, and, and they get to know each other pretty well. So they're having a good laugh about the fact that um, people are actually betting their hard-earned money on these guys. Uh, that said, um, yeah, it elevates their status a little bit. I mean, I, I am not calling up Carson Roberts to write about him on a Saturday afternoon during a PGA Tour season. If this was the uh, Masters weekend, guess what? I'm probably not writing anything about the guy that just won on the Outlaw Tour, but uh, you know, it's it's a different time right now, and yeah, it raises their profile a little bit. And as as he said, look, the end game is for all of these guys to get to the PGA Tour someday. And if you're someday going to be on that PGA Tour, well, you better get better get used to people betting on you, having odds next to your name, people uh, rooting for you, and maybe people rooting against you too. People get mad if you go out and shoot 75 when they've got money on you. Yeah, I'm sure the, their Twitter mentions and, and their Instagram DMs are probably filling up with people like, hey, dude, like, yeah. look, I need you to shoot a 68 today. All right. Like, I just dropped a grand on you. <laughs> You're dropping it's, a grand in mini tour stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, more power to you. That, that might be a little bit of a degenerate there. You know, it'd be real interesting to see if this bolsters these guys' confidence, you know, winning with this with this kind of backing from all these anonymous individuals out there and, and to kind of follow these guys' stories over the next few years and see if anybody from this kind of um, quarantine pandemic uh, golf tour comes out and, and makes it to, uh, you know, to uh, the Corn Ferry or the PGA Tour. Yeah, I bet they do. And some of these guys are playing Corn Ferry already. A lot of them play McKenzie Tour up in Canada. Uh, Some of them are playing PGA Tour Latino America. So this isn't just, hey, guys who, you know, I'm used to folding shirts in a pro shop somewhere as an assistant pro, and I'm going to go try to play for some money one day. These are are guys who have at least some sort of pedigree in the game. These are guys who are uh, trying to make it to the next level. They have nowhere else to play right now, and so they're playing – uh, during the winter out in Arizona, which is uh, a great place to be. It seems like there's some really good competition. Uh, it's really good players down there. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see a few of these guys make it to the PGA Tour at some point in the next two, three, four, five years. You know, it's funny. You bring up a real good point. Golf is one of those major North American sports. And, and obviously it's, it's everywhere. But just take North America, for example, where if you tell someone you're a golf professional or you're a professional golfer, I should say, that the mindset always goes to, oh, they play with Tiger. They play with Phil yeah. Mickelson. I know yeah. them. But the levels of professional golf. Now, you know, just like you, I know guys playing for 500 bucks a week. I know guys playing for $8 million a week. That is an enormous difference. If I tell someone, hey, I'm a pro baseball player, well, look, I either play single A, double A, triple A, or I'm in the majors. I mean, that's the bottom line. But the dichotomy between these professional golfers that you know you're kind of covering now or even at lower levels compared to pga tour guys is is actually it's astronomical and a lot of people don't understand that i've got buddies that i've accused of maintaining professional golfer employment just to put on their tinder and bumble profiles so it looks really good when they're trying to find uh girls to go date so 
Uh, yeah, it's uh, it sounds great. And it sounds like, yeah, you're going out and playing with Tiger and Phil and Rory and you're traveling private jets and uh, you're living a life. But quite frankly, most professional golfers, I mean, I'm not saying, you know, it's this is the majority are not playing on the PGA Tour, not playing for millions of dollars, but they are basically showing up at your golf course. And quite frankly, they might be at at your course and you don't even know it. You're you're sitting there with your foursome, you know, hooking them off the first tee. Meanwhile, there's guys on eight who are playing for a few thousand dollars and they're trying to grind it out and earn some money out there that because it's their job. And um, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's going on right now. And whether it's organized or unorganized, we've got some unorganized stuff over here as well, where, you know, guys are, Hey, uh, I'm a pro, you're a pro, get six other pros. Let's, you know, get two groups. Let's play for some money. And uh, it's not exactly a tournament, but still the level of competition is really good for these guys. Yeah, golf is one of those games where you need to keep sharp. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, you know, you play, I play. I feel like if I go two days without swinging a club, like, you know, my swing has gone to hell and I have no idea what I'm doing anymore. So imagine for these guys and and not only, you know, their swings and, and, and the mechanics, but just having that pressure to play with $1,000 on the line for a putt or whatever it is, you know, get those competitive juices flowing because it takes a lot more to get their juices flowing than it does us. You know, you stick me on a first tee with 10 people watching and my heart's racing, you know, I, I can't even imagine stepping over a putt, you know, worth 1500 bucks or so. Right. Right. I will tell you, though, that it makes you a better player going out there and playing. Even if you're getting your shots, I play a lot of golf with guys who are plus fours, plus fives, plus sixes. And OK, I'm, I'm a four handicap, so I can get bumped up against a plus six to a 10, 10 or 11. And uh, I love getting those shots, first of all. And secondly, it makes you a better player. You know that these guys aren't making bogeys anywhere. These guys are going to make pars and birdies. So you got to step up and make a good score. So uh even besides the professional golfers, I mean, it, for the amateur guys or recreational golfers, it can make you better going up against these guys. Yeah, that's the bottom line. We play for a three-dollar Nassau. You know, we call it the three-dollar throwdown. Those, those, I grind harder for those three dollars to win the front and <laughs> back overall than like anything else. You know what I mean? And and yeah. even if a putt's, you know, if I'm given a stroke and I've got a putt for par, my buddy's got a putt for bogey. Like, you know, I'm inspecting that like it's Tiger on the 18th at the Masters. Mm-hmm. Nothing wrong with that. No, not at all. It, hey, it, listen, money, sometimes the money matters and sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's, okay, well, I'm playing for a lot of money and I'm nervous and I got to play well and I want to win the money. And sometimes it's just, hey, I'm, I'll probably go out later today and play and it'll probably be a $5, 10 Nassau, something like that with a couple of buddies. And uh, and we get it, we'll get it up a lot higher in some other games with other guys that I play with. This one won't be uh, too bad either way. But still, I don't care if it's $5 or $100. You're, you're sitting there thinking about going, all right, I really want to win. Let's go. Yeah, no, that's the truth. I was going to ask you before. What's what's the most that you've won out uh, on a course when you've been playing? Anything noteworthy? Probably, I probably lost more than I've won. It's probably <laughs> somewhere in the three to four range. Um, I've got a good story. Uh, last year, I went out to uh, Phoenix area for the Waste Management, and uh, my old podcast buddy, uh, Drew Stoltz, the Sleaze, who uh, does great work on uh, – Sirius XM PGA Tour right now, um, set us up at Whisper. So it was me and him and uh, Peter Jennings, who um, CSU Ram on on Twitter and everywhere else, where he's uh, he's a terrific gambler. So we're we're gambling with him, and then Brandon McCarthy, former P, a former uh, major league pitcher, and Derek Anderson, former NFL quarterback, and uh, we're playing this this wolf game with presses and flips and everything else. Yeah, that and we just get like, out of hand quickly. Yeah. 
So, okay, you keep the card, whatever. Right. And we're through six holes. And okay, he's up 30, he's down 15, he's up 20. And you, okay, whatever. You know, let's just play. I don't care, you know. And we get out there. So finally, as any Wolf game that, you know, gets through three times in the rotation uh, with five guys, you, you get through 15, you say, okay, three holes left, and now the low guy gets kept. And they go to me, like, okay, you're down 400. And I'm like, geez, like, okay, I can handle it. But, I mean, where'd that come from? Like, I didn't feel like I was playing that badly. And all of a sudden, like, wow, I'm down a lot. And uh, by the end of the day, I think I was up 300, three holes later. So there were some uh, pretty big numbers going on those last three holes. Yeah, that, that game's like playing the, the penny stocks in the stock market, how much it fluctuates. Yeah, yeah. We play a game called Amigos at, at our place, which is uh, – Amigos is really fun and Amigos can hurt a lot and Amigos almost sometimes doesn't matter how you play. It's just uh, the luck of getting on the right team. So uh, very quickly, everyone tees off. You can play it in four, five, six, seven. We played eight before four on four in the same group because we're idiots and just do whatever the heck we want. Um, But basically, let's say it's three on three. Everyone tees off the three balls on the left against the three balls on the right. And so, you know, even if all three, all six balls are in the left rough, it's just the three most left against the three most right. And you make teams from there. Net balls uh, basically count two scores like Vegas scoring, uh, birdies, natural birdies flip. Um, and, and you set the point total basically before each hole. You can, I, I recommend playing for 25 cents, 50 cents a point, which doesn't sound like much. And the first couple times we played, we said, ah, oh, we're not playing for 50 cents. That's nothing. You know, I don't even mark my ball with less than that. And uh, it, it'll get up there. So we, we got up there a few days ago. We did one where we, we were getting up to $5 a point. That's, uh, it wasn't very friendly after a while. <laughs> yeah, I, I am, uh, I'm definitely more conservative on the golf course when it comes to gambling. And I like to know, you know, my big thing is I like to know all the rules up front and be able to like process them on every shot. So when people are like, Hey man, we're going to play this, that, and the other, and there's four things going on this. Shot, I'm like, all right, look, dude, I'm out. I just need to know if I make a four, you know, and you make a five, like, do I win anything on this hole? Right. Right. We'll play an amigos game where there's side action. So it's, you know, three on three, but then also like these two have those two, but those two are a team and they have an indie match against each other. So they're sort of rooting for each other and against each other. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like you guys, you guys can go without making a bet. Like you don't have to bet on every single possible outcome out there, but like uh, just degenerates. I'm sort of a degenerate and they're more degenerate than I am. So um, (laughs) congratulations to those guys. So listen, take us back a little bit uh, in the beginning. How'd you get your start? in golf and golf media and, and specifically as as a golf writer is this something you know a lot of people that i talk to they'll tell me hey man i just kind of fell into this and i always find that you know amazing um because for me like i'm a planner you know like i am so anal about things that you know take for example if i if, if we're going on a buddy's trip or something like that like i have to be the one planning i have to have everything in place i need to know you know yesterday if you can commit and whatnot and for a lot of guys that I've met, they're just like, well, I just kind of met this person and one thing led to another. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you take more of that route or were you planned to go into writing and, in, and specifically golf writing? No, there is no blueprint for this. I can tell you that. There just isn't. Um, I will tell you very quickly my story of getting into golf itself, which I think dovetails into uh, getting into golf writing. But um, 
my grandfather, who was a very avid golfer, lived in Florida, uh, passed away my freshman year of college. And so went down for the funeral and asked my grandmother, you know, can I have his golf clubs? I'd like to start playing golf. And she, of course, said, oh, yeah, we, he would love that, you know, please. And so um, I went and started playing. And the summer before my junior year of college, went to Brandeis University up in Boston. And summer before my junior year, I was a camp counselor. And we'd get done about 3 or 4 o'clock and go hit the par three course every day. And it's a great way to learn, you know, just a pitch and putt course, hundred yard holes, but uh, really kind of teaching myself and a couple of buddies teaching themselves. And um, before I went back for my junior year, I called a buddy of mine who was the captain of the team. And I said, Hey, uh, I'm not very good, but I started playing golf. Can I join the team somehow? And so uh, long story short, I, I went into the gym and hit into a net for uh, coach Bob Branham, who had been a power forward for the Celtics back in the fifties and sixties, real kind of tough, gruff old guy. And he looked at me and said, well, you're not very good. I said, yeah, no, I just started. He said, can you drive? And I said, sure. And I go to take out my driver. Go, no, can you drive a car? Said, yeah, I can drive a car. And I'm waiting for like this epiphany of it's just like driving a car. You can hit a golf ball. And instead he says, uh, do you have a car here on campus? I said, yeah. I said, does it have a trunk? I said, yeah. I'm like, what is these? I'm some naive 19-year-old kid. I'm like, yeah, I, I got a trunk. What's the big deal? Can you fit four other people in the car? Yeah, I can do that. He goes, can you drive to practice? I said, yeah, I can drive to practice. He goes, all right, you're on the team. You got to take everyone to practice every day. All right, cool. So that's that's how I became a collegiate <laughs> golfer. And that, But honestly, that's that's really how I got into the game. If he had said no that day, if he had said, you know, hey, we've already got people getting rides to practice. We don't need you at all. I may have stopped right there. I may have just stopped playing golf and not really gotten into it. But instead, I got into playing. I got into watching golf uh, right out of school. And I had been, um, I don't want to say trained, but I had worked as a sports writer throughout college. I wrote for the Boston Globe. I wrote for some other papers and little magazines and newsletters and stuff. So I wanted to be a writer, but I got a job at ESPN as a production assistant working on uh, the studio production side of, of TV, working on Sports Center and uh, NFL Countdown and things like that. So kind of worked my way up for a little bit for about seven years there. And then all, all of a sudden I saw this job uh, available uh, at this new thing called ESPN.com where they needed a golf editor. And I said, I, I don't even know what that is, but I've, I've got a writing background. Uh, they were starting to put this, uh, start to put video stuff on the internet, which was, you know, this whole strange new world. And they liked the fact that I had uh, been a producer and, and knew how to produce video. And, uh, and so I applied for the job and I wound up getting it. And I will tell you, my second day on the job was during the 2004 Open Championship. And we didn't have a writer at the, at the time. Uh, Bob Harrig was doing some freelance stuff for us, but I was the editor of a site that didn't have a writer and so we had no content coming in so literally it's like wow i'm so excited i'm gonna start this and then kind of looking around like all right what do i edit there's nothing here and so i on my second day went to one of my bosses at the time and said can i write something he said yeah i don't care you're not gonna break the internet just go ahead and do whatever you want i said all right and i wrote a piece on colin montgomery who i'd never seen in person in my life at the time and so uh, i'm sure it was an illuminating uh, introspective on on Colin Montgomery, but the next day, uh, I turned to my boss. I said, "Hey, look, I I got nothing else today either. You want me to write something?" He goes, "Yeah, go ahead, whatever, man. You know, stay out of my stay out of my hair, kind of thing." And so <laughs> I wrote again. And so for the first for the next four years, I became basically a uh, a writer slash editor. And then uh, they kind of gave me just the writing gig, uh, and, and I dropped the editing part of that because I was working eighteen hours a day. At, at tournaments. So, 
Um, and it just kind of moved on from there. I, I went from ESPN to Golf Channel in 2011, back to ESPN in 15, over to the Action Network right around this time of year, just before the Masters in 2018, two years ago. And I've been there ever since. And I can tell you, Dan, that uh, this is – I've loved every place I've worked. Uh, you know, I've got so many memories at ESPN, some great people at Golf Channel. This is probably the most fun job that I've had. Uh, this is uh, it, it is just more fun on a daily basis what I'm doing right now than uh, than ever before. Is this something with the Action Network? Are you are you commuting everywhere? Is this from home? What what's what's the sense that that makes it so fun? Kind of maybe uh, almost like a career renaissance where you kind of fall back in love with what you're doing again. Yeah. So I mean, I've always liked what I was doing, so it wasn't a matter of you know, wow, I was really burnt out, and then I started working for Action Network, and it got much better. It was just First of all, I, I do the same thing I've been doing for you know, 12, 15 years now, which is uh, travel to events on the road, uh, 15 to 18, 20 weeks a year, whatever it might be, and, and then working from home when I'm not. So there's no sort of office to go into or anything like that. Um, I'm always at home when I'm not on the road and working kind of on my schedule. It's, uh, it's very flexible, so I can kind of work early in the morning, work late at night, whatever works uh, – for my personal schedule, but um, it's more about the fact that I, I'm interested in what I'm writing about. I mean, Dan, I can tell you that there were so many times when I'd go to a tournament, go to the Travelers Championship in uh, in Cromwell, Connecticut, and so-and-so shoots a first-round 66, and you're writing a piece saying, wow, can this guy hang on and win this week, where you're sitting there thinking, it's like the first quarter of an NBA game. I mean, you wouldn't write after the first quarter of an NBA game saying, well, the Knicks are up three on the Rockets right now. Can they hang on and win this thing? You're like, no, nah, we're just going to see what happens. You know, let's let's get to the next thing. So uh, there was a lot of stuff that I was writing that even I wasn't that interested in just because you have to grind out that content on a daily basis. What I'm doing now, and I, I always tell people, like, look, if you're betting and playing fantasy, this will absolutely help you. And if you're not, it just makes you smarter about what you're watching on a daily basis, a weekly basis. So um, I, I've told friends, I've told other people that if you're only taking five minutes to read a golf piece every day, wouldn't you rather read the one that could help you make money or help you beat your buddies in a pool as opposed to just one written about a player and whether he can win that week? I, so to me, it's just more interesting what I'm doing right now. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's kind of a great point. You know, one of the things that I always find, and this is this is this is me. Doing media at a tournament, I go there, right? Walk into the media center, all these people have heads buried in computers. My mindset as not only a golf fan, but someone that loves a sport is like, why are you not out on the course? You know, there's, there's so much going on out there. There's so many better pieces that you can be writing about. And you're writing about, you know, Hideki's first round 67 and, and, and Sergio, you know, made triple on, on eight, but there's no connection with what happened. You know, to, to me, so much of sports writing seems very bland because it's just these numbers, just these facts. And no one kind of goes out and, and gets kind of the behind the scenes stories. And that's what I'm interested in. I mean, that's one of the reasons that I started the podcast. I want to know more and not just what is, is given to me. Um, when you're covering stuff like that, and I, you know, maybe not on tournament side, but you mentioned with the outlaw tour, you know, communicate with all these people that you never would have in the first place. What's your favorite part about writing these articles now for the Action Network? 
Well, first of all, let me let me address the first part of that first because sure. I, I think there's this great juxtaposition, and uh, and you're right where there are times when you know people are like, hey, you've got your nose buried in a laptop writing some story on somebody, whereas you could be out on the golf course and working on stuff. It doesn't work that way. I wish it worked that way. First of all, you know, if you're working on a deadline, you're like, well, I've, I've got to have something in by six o'clock tonight, and I can't just be walking around the golf course trying to find a story. Uh, secondly, it's all about content, content, content these days. So, uh, you know, yes, there are times when, Hey, let's go chase a good story and let's go just, you know, walk around and try to find something and talk to as many people as you can. And I love doing that kind of thing. That said, um, we can't all have the schedule of a, a Wright Thompson. You know, I worked with Wright, who I think is the best <laughs> sports writer in the world. And I worked with him for a long time at ESPN and Wright would basically have unlimited budget, get to Augusta or wherever else and say, hey, find something. And right. might, maybe he'd write two or three times, but a lot of times it would be one big story at the end of the week. And yes, his one story is going to be way better than any of the 37 stories that I would have written or somebody else would have written during that week. But you can't have one without the other. So Wright isn't able to just kind of walk around and, and find a really good, meaty 5,000-word story without the guy who's sitting back in the media center grinding out uh, 800 word columns every, every day, you know, over and over because you, you need both. You need that balance. And uh, I would love it if we all lived in a world where, hey, we're all sort of magazine writers and we can all just write one story for the whole week and they're all going to be really, really good. But when you're sitting there logging onto your computer at five o'clock PM on Friday, looking to, you know, for some sort of context to what's going on on the leaderboard and it's not there, then all of a sudden you're doing a disservice to the readership as well. So I, I understand both points of that. Um, I think we'd all love to have the time and the ability to work on like really good, longer stories, meaty stories and, and find things. And it's just not feasible in today's world where uh, you, you have to kind of feed the beast a little bit more. That said, you try to combine the two. I mean, the you know, I think the best people in this game right now, and you know, whether it's covering golf, covering any sport, covering any field whatsoever, you know, it can be politics, can be anything else. Uh, the best are sort of combining that. Hey, I'm I'm grinding out content on a daily basis, but I'm also giving you some some context. I'm giving you some anecdotal evidence. I, I'm giving you something else besides just here's some quotes on what somebody said. Let me ask you something. As, as someone that's kind of gone from the, you know, has been around the old style of let's let's not even say golf writing, but writing in general, to nowadays where, um, you know, we we pass over things so quickly in today's day and age, right? It's kind mm -hmm. of like that Twitter Instagram culture, and you're so active on Twitter and do such a great job at at summarizing things in a very short, succinct way. Do you ever long? For the days of the past where, you know, your your article might be in a newspaper and, and you know that, you know, 100,000, 200,000 people are going to sit around and take the time to absorb those words and actually kind of internalize them as opposed to how it is nowadays where, you know, like even for me, and, and I love reading, like I inherited this love of reading from my grandfather and I could sit and read for hours, but I am just as guilty as the next person of looking at an article reading the first paragraph and being like, you know what, this one doesn't interest me, and then bam, I'm off to the next one. Mm -hmm. You ever long for those days of the past? Yes and no. Um, 
I think it was, you know, obviously use a phrase, a simpler time where uh, you could write something for a newspaper and they put it in the paper and you'd like to at least think that everyone is sitting around their Sunday breakfast reading your article and, and, and diving into it and really uh, internalizing it, like you said. But I, we don't know that that was the fact. I mean, you don't know that everyone's, you know, just reading one paragraph of your article in the paper and then moving on to something else. So uh, sure, I don't know that it was necessarily always the case. Um, what I kind of wish now is, and I try to do it a little bit, you know, you can't give it a sell job. Now you want to sell anything that you write, you know, you go on Twitter and you say, man, read this piece. I'm previewing the outlaw tour this week. Hey, it, it's, it's a decent preview. You know, it's not bad, but there are other times when I write something and go, Hey guys, this one, like, yes, I want you to read me all the time, but like once a month, like I'll write something like, Hey, this is even better. Just, Take your time on this one. This one's pretty good. And it's hard. I wrote a 40,000-word piece last week, which is basically 200 pages if it was written in a book. Um, give give people like, an idea how long that takes. Just so, you know, because I think right now people are saying, well, hey, man, I wrote a, you know, a 1,500-word essay for a final that I had in college one time. But give people an idea how long that takes to do. I have always kind of worked on the sort of blueprint of a thousand words an hour when you're writing that kind of thing, like a fictional type piece that's based on some reality. Um, so it probably took me about 40 hours. Um, gotcha. and, and really that was over about four or five days, you know, it was working eight to 10 hours a day, four or five days, which honestly is probably pretty quick. And I probably grinded my way through that, uh, a lot quicker than, um, maybe some others would, but, uh, you know, I just kind of got into the subject matter. So it was a, uh, if you ever read the old uh, "Choose Your Own Adventure" books when you were a kid, but, oh my god, um, dude, I grew up on those in elementary school. Say me too, and I love those. And I, I did a "Choose Your Own Adventure" for the masters. I said, you know, first page, you click on it. Uh, you are at Augusta National. You have a ticket for the first time to the final round. It's a great day. The world is fantastic. You know, there's nothing wrong in the world. Kind of a little <laughs> uh, unsubtle dig to what's happening around us right now, but. Uh, these are the final three groups. It's Rory Kepka, it's Raman Reed, it's Tiger Phil. Click on one and follow that journey. And so you'd click on one and then you'd get to, okay, this guy makes a birdie, this guy makes a bogey. Click on either of those paths. And I thought it was really cool. And I'm sitting there going, this thing's going to go viral. I mean, this is going to be like a big, like a, people are going to be really into this. I, I don't know, Dan, got a few retweets, got a couple of likes. Uh, a few people told me they liked it. Other than that, it really didn't do a whole lot. And so you sit here and think like, you know, at times, is it worth doing all of that work on something where, you know, it is a gimme, gimme, gimme society now as far as content and, you know, people don't necessarily have um, the attention spans for anything longer than 280 characters. And maybe it's not worth doing 40,000 word pieces where, uh, it's going to take you five or six hours to get through everything and read every different possibility. So I don't know. I struggle with that. Uh, I really do. I would love to be able to say, you know, that piece killed it last week. And so I'm going to do a lot more of them because that's what the audience out there is thirsting for. But I, I didn't quite see it. And I was disappointed, honestly. Yeah, well, I think if anybody could figure out like that Instagram algorithm or, or, you know, the Twitter retweet algorithm, they'd be one of the richest people in the world, you know, because I, I understand, like you said, I mean, there's some things I'll put a picture up 
And I'm like, this, I love this is my favorite picture ever. Like, it's it's amazing. It's so topical right now. It's so perfect. Like, it encapsulates everything that I believe in. And you're like, oh, you got 70 people that liked it. And then I'll put something stupid up in an Instagram story, and I get like 1,200 people that view it. I can't figure it out. It's unbelievable. I, I'm the exact same way. And it goes beyond just stories that I've written. I mean, I, I will put up a tweet thing and like, this is pretty clever. This is good. You know, like I, you know, this is pretty funny, I think. And it'll get three retweets. And then I'll put up another one that's just like, here's a stat. You know, all it is is like, here's a stat that I looked up on PGATour.com and I put the stat out there and it gets 300 retweets. And I'm like, what? God, I didn't do anything. Like, I just literally like wrote the stat out. Like, it took nothing, no sort of brain power on my part. And yet, I don't know. That's kind of what people want sometimes. So I, you know, I struggle with that uh, on a fairly regular basis, trying to figure out exactly what people want, when they want it, how they want it, how they want to consume it. Yeah, no, I can, I completely understand. And I'm sure there's, there's tons of people that can empathize with that out there. Listen, I gotta, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you what, what hooked you on the game to turn it into, you know, a full fledged career. Was there a single point in time? Was it was it something specific that you can remember, or is it a you know a bunch of little things about the game itself? Yeah, like I said earlier, I I was able to get that job. It was at a point where I kind of grown as much as I was going to grow on the TV side, working uh, in production, and kind of wanted a, a new challenge out there. And so um, I saw golf, and I said, "Look, I I love golf. I didn't know nearly as much as I thought I knew back then." Um, but, you know, I thought I knew golf pretty well and had the writing background and got the job. And ever since then, it's been more a matter of like, hey, it's a great gig. I mean, I tell people this is the best beat to have out there. I mean, not only you go to places like Augusta and, uh, you know, Kapalua, I've gone to six, seven times covering the event out there. I mean, it's it's it. you don't go to a whole lot of like, you know, wow, this is a terrible city and a snowstorm kind of places uh, when you're covering golf. So you, you get to travel some good places. The guys you deal with on a regular basis are 99.9% uh, really willing, willing to talk to you open, honest, thoughtful. So, uh, you know, I, I like covering uh, the people that I'm covering. And so, you know, I, I don't know that there was one moment where I said, I need to work in golf. If I don't work in golf, I will consider my career a failure. Um, <laughs> I, I worked on, I worked on basically every sport on the TV side with ESPN before I started doing this. I've, uh, I've written about other sports, uh, you know, and and I wouldn't rule out doing more on other sports in the future. I hosted a uh, fantasy football show on Sirius XM's fantasy channel for uh, for the Action Network this past season and had a lot of fun doing that and uh, wouldn't turn down doing that again. So, um, you know, I, I am still into all sports and still follow them vigorously and uh, wouldn't mind working on anything else. But so, yeah, there was never a moment then where I said, like, I have to work on golf. It just kind of worked out that way. And uh, if they're not going to kick me out yet, then I'm not going to leave. If you had to come up with a timeline that you think golf and, and more importantly, sports in general in North America will be back, you know, for someone that has some, some inside knowledge, what are you looking at? What time frame are you looking at when we, I don't even want to say get back to normal. You know, but let's say we even get to something like MLB is thinking with their, you know, crazy scheme of of limiting it to Florida and and Arizona. Yeah. When do you think we get pro sports back in the U.S.? 
I mean, it's the big question right now, at least in sports. I, I, I would like to hope that it's not until everything else falls in line. Like, let's not push sports. Let, let's, let's get the rest of the world right. Let's, let's try to eliminate the virus uh, to the best extent that we can. Let's not try to, like, get back too quickly and say, hey, look, let's try to do it without fans. And, you know, we can still play and we can put something on TV. Like, you know, I, there, there are too many other risks, I think, there. I, you know, I, I keep telling people, and I, I've had a lot of people over uh, the last handful of weeks telling me that, um, hey, golf is a social distancing sport. And I, and I agree with that. I've played a handful of times over the last few weeks, and you don't touch anybody else. You don't touch anybody else's things. You stay 6, 10, 20 feet apart from each other. Um, it, it is a very good practice of social distancing and i think you can limit your exposure to anything else that said you and i going out to play around and tiger and rory and kepka playing in a televised tournament are two completely different things so uh you need you need volunteers you need a tv crew you need uh dining staff you need tournament staff you need course staff on the grounds uh there are a lot of people involved that i think uh fans don't always quite understand and uh I think that, first of all, um, puts it a little bit more at risk. And secondly, you're asking professional golfers to fly to tournaments. You're asking them to stay in hotels. You're asking them to eat out at restaurants and basically live a regular life in what is irregular time. So I think we have to look at everything involved. I think uh, there's really no answer right now. Uh, you know, we can look at it a week from now and say, wow, we have really flattened the curve. We might be ready pretty soon. Or it might be six months from now that we look at it and say, okay, now we're starting to get ready. It, it took a long time. And so I, I hope that none of those decisions are being made. I keep saying that if I was a PGA Tour executive or really an executive with any league right now, I would be sitting at home with 10 different whiteboards around my office, you know, with the first one saying, okay, if June, then this, and have all the contingency plans about, you know, what happens if we can start June 1st. Another one, July 1st, another one, July 15th, another one, August 1st. And, uh, and you sort of have contingency plans for what the schedule will look like, you know, what uh, gaining entrance into other events would look like, you know, for the PGA Tours concern, you know, FedEx Cup playoffs and things like that. Like, what would that entail if we start in June as opposed to if we start in August? So I, I don't think there's a drop dead date where, oh, we should be good August 14th. Sports will be playing. Fans can go and we're all clear of this. I, I just don't think there's going to be a date like this. I think it'll be gradual. Um, but like I said, I hope that we wait and don't try to push sports before people are ready. I'm on, on the same page as you. I mean, it's literally almost like we're living in a choose your own adventure, you know, novel right now where, like you said, if this happens, then this, you know, then go to this step next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's a very, very odd times. Um, you made a great point, which I want to touch on, which is another thing that, you know, I think people might not have a great understanding of, but how many people it takes to run a golf tournament. I was at the players on on the infamous, you know, day when when they sent out to media and, and uh, players that it was going to be canceled. And and as we were leaving on Thursday and just walking around and seeing all these volunteers, and we had done a whole piece for the podcast and interviewing, um, you know, the heads of the volunteer groups and talking to volunteers and stuff like that as we were going around. And this whole entire cloud of uncertainty over everybody, 
you know, am I going to be back tomorrow? I'm supposed to work the range. I was supposed to pick balls at 5 a.m. Am I coming back and whatnot? And then not finding out till later that night. But just thinking of, of how many people it takes to run it. The PGA Tour always says this. They always say without the volunteers, we could not make it happen. And I don't think there's a truer line in golf because those volunteers are completely essential to the entire working organization that is the PGA Tour. Absolutely. Uh, and the fact that the PGA Tour gets away with it, that you know all of golf uh, the, that has tournaments gets away with sort of not having a staff. Can you imagine if they had NFL football games and they said, hey, we need, uh, we need volunteers to work uh, the merchandise booths and we need volunteers to work as ushers. We need volunteers to park cars, uh, help with parking. No, that's like you employ people to do that. That's people's jobs. Uh, you know, guys are getting paid to, you know, go to the stadium every day and, and you know, do those things. And yet uh, golf is somehow grandfathered in this, um, this volunteer program where it, it's amazing. Uh, and, you know, the fact that people will, and I get it from a perspective of, hey, I'm retired. I love golf. I just want to be around the game and, uh, and go out there and help out whatever I can. But some people will take a week vacation from work, go to a golf tournament, and it's not as if, you know, hey, I'm, I'm the marshal at the 12th tee, and I get to see all the players come through and see them hit their drives. It's really fun. I mean, there are guys like I, I took off a week from work. I've talked to people that have done this. I, I took off a week from work. I'm not getting paid. I'm working as a volunteer, and I'm driving the media shuttle back and forth every day. Yes. Like, and I'm sitting there going, dude, I'm sorry. Like, I, you know, this has got to be awful. And they're like, no, no, I get to help out. I'm at the tournament. They gave me a shirt. And you're like, yeah, that doesn't really help this out much. I, you know, I, I'm sorry that you have to drive us back and forth. All right. Well, let me say this too, because look, there's, I love the PGA Tour. I hate the PGA Tour, right? I can go both ways. But here is what makes the PGA Tour beyond brilliant. And, and I don't know if you want to say they're duping people into it or whatnot, but you mentioned they get a shirt. Not only do they not get a shirt, they are paying for that shirt. So they are receiving it, but they're paying for it. So these people are volunteering, but the PGA Tour has figured out a way to trick people into paying to volunteer. It's, it's absolutely brilliant from a monetary standpoint. It's brilliant on their part. I mean, think about not only they're getting their money, but they're saving money on not having to pay people to do all those jobs that volunteers do. Uh, it comes to the bigger point that most people, and I won't say everybody, because there are people that you know say, hey, I'm... I'm a big golf fan. I've got money on Sungjae Im today, and I'm going to go follow Sungjae. And you know, I I, I really want to see his ball strike. Whatever the case might be, like, hey, I'm going there to watch golf. Most of the people that go to golf tournaments go there basically to tell everybody else that they know that they went to the golf tournament. It's not, <laughs> hey, I want to see these shots. It's, I'm going to go drink and I'm going to go Instagram the hell out of what I've done all day and bragged to all my buddies back in the office who, you know, didn't have the day off that I spent Friday afternoon at the second round of the Honda Classic walking around and uh, having some beers as opposed to sitting in my cubicle all day. And so, uh, so much of it is based on, I mean, that's why, you know, Tiger walks down the fairway, people are like holding up their phones, taking pictures, thousands of people taking pictures of Tiger. And I'm always sitting there going, what are you taking a picture of? Like you can Google it. Google it. There are pictures of Tiger online, and, and they're a lot better than the one you're taking right now. Trust me. 
And yet people are taking those pictures so they can go on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and whatever else and go, hey, look, I saw a tiger. I did it myself. I, I saw a tiger. I took this picture. Look what I did. It's not, hey, man, you should have seen the trage on this shot. He hit into three. It was amazing. It's just, hey, I saw him in person. I did it with my eyes and my camera. And look at what I did. And, and, and that's I'm telling you, that's the majority of people that are at golf tournaments these days. I'm I'm so glad we see eye to eye on this. I've been to tournaments and I've I've done this and and put it on Instagram. And to me, you know, maybe it's me being a jerk, but it, it's fine. Um, so I love talking to people in the gallery, you know, and and it's very easy to kind of spot the rubes that have no idea why they're at a tournament. And I will just simply ask them, hey, you know, uh, I, I'm from Leave the Pin Podcast. You know, I'm wondering if we can chat for a little bit. And you know, most of the people are like, oh my god, yeah, you want to talk to me? Yeah, of course I want to talk to you. Um, Hey, what did you think about those shots we just saw? Oh man, they were incredible! Like greatest shots I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, what do you think about you know fill in player's name here that that maybe people don't know? What do you think about Bo Hostler? Oh, dude, he's he. That was him, right? Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course that was him. Yeah, he was amazing, dude. Now, meanwhile, it's not Bo Hostler. You know, it's it's no. <laughs> it's like Lanto Griffin or something like that. these. They have no idea. I mean, literally, no idea. No idea. And and you made a great point. They go to the drink. They go there because they're part of some type of corporate hospitality or whatnot. The, I tell people all the time, the best way to experience a course or to experience the pros is to be at a tournament because it's amazing to see what these guys and women do in person. However, if you are a golf fan that wants to know what's going on, it is the absolute worst way to follow any type of action. So I'll tell you a couple of stories. So first of all, I went to... Uh, I live 10 minutes from Bay Hill, and I covered uh, the Arnold Palmer Invitational this year, as I always do. But on Saturday, I uh, took my wife and my two kids, and uh, we had a friend that had a hospitality suite uh, by the 17th Green. And we sat in there, and I, I'd never really done that. You know, I've, I, I'm walking around inside the ropes. So I'm talking to players. I I was, like, on my last nerve in this place. I mean, they're they're serving tacos, and they got drinks, and there's a bartender, and, you know, everyone's just hanging out. And I'm sitting there going, you know, like someone hit one to three feet on 17, which is like a really tough hole over the water there. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, what a shot. And everyone's like, you know, what? Huh? What's going on? And like I'm watching, you know, I've got the TV next to me as well in the suite. And I'm, I'm watching what's going on. I'm like, oh, man, so-and-so just, you know, put one in the water they were leading. And like people are looking at me like, what are you leading? What? What are you talking about? I'm like, you guys understand you're in a golf tournament right now, right? And like nobody in there is paying attention. Nobody. Even the people that are like face actually sitting in a seat and facing the green they have no idea what they're watching who they're watching whether that was a good shot or not i mean people are just like just there to hang out just there to to do something and and hang out a little bit so um yeah and it happens all the time i mean i, I another good example i went um this is the u.s open at marion so we're talking going back seven years but a buddy of mine lives in the philly area and he said hey i'm gonna be out with my uh my father-in-law my brother-in-law and uh, come on out. That's that's one thing that people people love doing that, by the way. People love saying, hey, I'm going to be at the golf tournament. Like, maybe we can see each other out there. And I'm like, I see you right now. Why do I have to see you out there tomorrow? You know, I did that again during the API a few weeks ago or a month ago. You know, buddies of mine who are like, you know, I see them on Wednesday, you know, at our club playing a, a late round. And then they said, hey, I'm coming to the first round tomorrow. Maybe I can see you. I'm like, you know, I, I don't need to see you tomorrow. So today don't need like the different backdrop of a, a different golf course behind us just for me to say hi and see you again. But OK. Um, and so um, 
Oh, so I was at Marion, and you know, I go out and find a buddy, and I mean, it's U.S. Open, it's Marion's very tight. Obviously, they're packing people in there, and we're about twelve rows deep, and you couldn't even you couldn't see who was hitting, you couldn't see where the ball landed, but you know, you see a ball kind of fly through the air and land somewhere near the green, and everyone kind of in front of us claps. My buddy starts clapping, like, "Yeah, all right." I'm like, "What are you cheering for?" He's like, I, "I." Everyone's cheering. I thought that was pretty good. I'm like, "Who was it?" He goes, I don't know. I go, you, you have no idea what you're clapping for. You're literally just clapping because other people are clapping. I said, you know, they, uh, the guys in front of you thought it was a pretty good shot, and so they're clapping. Uh, you don't know. What if, what if it's a player you're not rooting for? What if, what if it's a guy you don't like who just hit that shot? You're clapping for him. He's like, I, yeah, I guess you're right. And he's like, I'm, I'm just doing it because everyone else is doing it. I'm really bored. I can't see anything. So it just gave me some reason to move my hands back and forth. But, um, yeah, that's – you know, that – that's what happens at golf tournaments. People just have no idea. And there's just a lot of, you know, hey, I'm going to clap because everyone seems like they're, they're pretty impressed. And they're going to clap too. So why not? And that's, and that's why we get people yelling stuff too because they're just bored. They're just bored and they have nothing else to do. They haven't seen anyone hit a golf ball in 15 minutes and finally they see a shot and they just yell stupid things at the top of their lungs just because they're bored and they're drunk. Yeah, nothing attracts a crowd like a crowd. And it's kind of it's that lemming mentality, you know? It's just like, hey, they're going to jump off a cliff. Well, I'm I'm following them. It's it's cool. Yeah. I was yeah, at the uh, I was at the PGA Championship at at Baltusrol, and my wife and I are coming out of the merchandise tent. And uh literally, we step out and a ball lands in front of us. Now, my first instinct was I look up, I'm thinking someone's on the roof, like who is hitting it up here? It's a par five, a long par five on the back. And uh, I'm like, what the heck? Yeah, like who's throwing balls at me? You know, um, mm-hmm. I look around, there's nothing there. And, you know, I said, you know what? I said, hold up real quick. I said, because maybe this is, maybe someone cut the corner. Maybe someone's coming up. I said, but I doubt it though. Cause we were at that hole earlier in the day. Well, sure enough, it's big John Daly. And, We've got now, you know, my wife and I stand there for a minute or two, and now 10 people, 12 people, 20 people or so, and he kind of waddles on over, and he looks and looks at me, he goes, this my ball? And I said, well, there ain't nobody else hitting it over here. And he was like, okay, 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 help me move these ropes, you know? So we help, and of course, everyone else wants to get on the ropes and whatnot. It's fine, whatever, it's cool, you know? So we move the ropes, and uh, puffing on a cigarette, drops it, smashes the ball, moves on, like nothing happened. You know what I mean? He was probably 10 over at that point in time, mm-hmm. care less. So we're hanging out right there. And uh, now there's some older guys looking at the divot mark, inspecting it, you know, because it's in the rough there and they put the ropes back. Yeah. And these two or three people now look like I understand if you saw uh, Smiley Kaufman, if, if you saw Alanto Griffin, if you saw someone like that, a Zach Blair out in the wild, you might not recognize him. I'm going to go on record in saying that. If you can't tell who John Daly is, if you can't tell who Tiger Woods is or Phil Mickelson, I, you have no place in sports whatsoever being anywhere. <laughs> and these these three people looked at us and were like, who's that guy? He seemed like he was in a bad mood. I, I was like, it, it's John Daly. Like, he was born in a bad mood. What do you think, people? How do you not know who that is? And it just blew my mind, and it was the first inclination that – People spend hard-earned money to go to a sporting event and have no idea what's going on. They have absolutely no idea. And if they do have an idea, these things stick with them for so long. I will tell you that, you know, and I've told PGA Tour players this, guys that I know fairly well, like, hey, 
Like, not that you have to sign autographs for every single person there. Not that you have to, like, literally shake everybody's hand and be the nicest guy in the world. But these things stick with people so much. I, a few years ago, I, I played with a guy who was an older guy and found out what I did. He said, hey, you ever, you ever meet Ray Floyd? I said, yeah, talk to Ray Floyd a handful of times. You know, nothing. I, I wouldn't say I, I know him very well, but, yeah, I've talked to him a little bit. I said, oh, what a jerk that guy is. I said, oh. <laughs> Why? Like, how do you know him? Like, what happened? Back in 77 at Doral, he had just made a double bogey. He's walking off the green, and I look him in the eye and go, hey, don't worry about it, Ray. You got this. And he just grumbled like, yeah, and kind of walked away. Man, what a jerk. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, you're telling me some story from, like, over 40 years ago about him, you know, and you're basing your entire knowledge on him uh, from something 40 years ago. Secondly, it was right after a double bogey. Like, it wasn't like, you know, hey, you met him at a party and he told you to go F off or something like that. Like, you, you went and tried to talk to him after a double bogey. Like, yes, he's going to be a little grumpy after that. But this guy had remembered that for 40-something years. And I mean, I just, you know, I, I think about that all the time when, uh, whether it's, you know, Phil giving a thumbs up to some guy and, you know, that guy forever will, anytime Phil's name is brought up, say, Oh, he gave me a thumbs up once and, and remember that and love him because of it. And then there's other times, you know, like your John Daly story where people go, oh, John Daly, I, I saw him once. He's grumpy. Uh, you know, he for all they know, John Daly could be the least grumpy person in the entire world, which isn't true, but he could be. And just in that moment, he was having a bad time and a bad day. And so they caught him then. And, you know, and he just wasn't in a great mood for five minutes. And uh, and that's going to carry with those people that saw him for that moment. But yeah, it's, it's amazing how just one little impression of a, and I'm sure this happens with famous people, no matter what, that doesn't have to necessarily be golfers, but uh, one little impression of them will stick with people for so long. It's, uh, it's, it's insane. I want to, I want to, I, I, I have to tell you a story first. It's hilarious to show you the small mindedness of people. And then I want to kind of get into, before we wrap up here, you caddying for, uh, for Brennan Steele. But I was at the Northern Trust and I'm talking with, with Michael Collins, right? And Xander Shoffley goes past. And I said, Mike, I said, I, I hate to interrupt you. I, let, let me go real quick. My kids love Xander. See if just, we can get a picture with them, you know? And I said, hey, Xander, I said, can we get a quick pick? And he's like, dude, yeah. He's like, real, real quick, though. He's like, I'm on my way to the first tee. Okay, awesome. Literally have the camera open, arms around the kids, bang, security whisks him away, right? A guy comes running over, screaming, Xander, Xander. Xander's obviously, you know, well past the putting green there, going to the first tee. And he goes, dude, how'd you get a picture with him? I said, well, I, I, I asked him, you know, it's for my kids. I don't need a picture with another guy that I don't know. Um, you know, I said, they right. like him as a golfer. And he was like, that guy's a dick. I can't believe he didn't stop and take a picture with me. I'm like, the dude was a hundred yards away from you. By the time you came running over screaming his name, like, do you think anyone in their right mind would stop for you? But it's just the small minus of people because the guy, and he was going to the first tee. Like, he's literally in game mode, and I had no idea that he was. And, and if I did, there's no way I would have asked him, you know, um, right. knowing that he was working. But he was cool, and he was like, yeah, man, real quick, and, and then, you know, he was off. Um, and then, of course, people see him put the arms around the kids, and, oh, you know, who's, who, who's that? Uh, was that Ricky? That must have been Ricky. Wow, you guys got a picture with Ricky? And the other guy's like, nah, his name's Xander. He's a, he's a jerk, man. I hate that guy. It's like, it's, it's <laughs> unbelievable, dude. Um, but listen, but you've been on and the it other happens side. all the time. I, I, yes. oh, I was going to say, I, 
most of the guys will will stop for kids. Maybe not walk into the first tee, but they will. They'll stop for kids. They'll sign for kids. They'll take pictures for kids. Um, and if you're an adult and you're asking for a picture, or an autograph with a famous guy, like you kind of deserve what you get. Uh, quite frankly, I mean, I I know that people love memorabilia, and I you know if I was just a fan, I I would prefer a selfie with a guy as opposed to let me write your name on a piece of paper, which I just has never really interested me whatsoever from anybody. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, you've got to understand the place and time first of all. And then look, you've also got to understand, you know, if you're a 45 year old guy and you're yelling at a guy for an autograph, like what, what are you doing, man? Like let, let the kids have, have their fun and, and do it for the kids. Uh, and, and other than that, um, you know, just don't worry about it. I, I'll tell you a good one. I, I, I take my kids to the father, son in Orlando, um, every once in a while. And, uh, it was probably three or four years ago. I brought my daughter. She's probably about seven, eight years old at the time. And, uh, I said, Oh, some of the guys are going to come off. Why don't, why don't you go try to get an autograph? And she's in this autograph pen and she's getting pushed by guys. that are like professional autograph guys, like big dudes, adults. And like, she's a seven, eight year old. I went around inside the ropes and I basically acted like I was an official, like pushing these guys back from the kids. They don't know who I am. So I'm just, you know, get away from the kids. You got to move. So my daughters, I gave her a couple of golf balls and she got Jack Nicholas to sign a golf ball. And I'm like, wow, that's Jack Nicholas. She goes, who's that? I said, yeah, he's one of the most famous golfers of all time. He has the most major championship wins. I try to explain it. She goes, oh, okay, whatever. So we get in the car and when we get home, I said, oh, you got to go show mom the, the golf ball that you got. And she goes, this one. And she shows it to me. And it's now Jack Nicholas's autograph on a golf ball. And underneath is grass and like a bird flying and over it. She drew like the sun and some clouds. And for a split second, I go, Oh my God, what did you do? And then right after I go, you know what? That's awesome. I love that you did that. That's really, really cool. And so I don't know. It's just it. Some guy wrote his name on something. It's just not a big deal. I don't even understand why these things are, are worth any value. Yeah, we, we actually did an entire, well, not an entire pod, but a big, big segment of a pod. And, you know, I, I kind of ascertained that the only autograph I would ever want in life would be Tiger's. And the only reason for that is because then that, for me, is is a moment in time with him. Do you know what I mean? With my favorite golfer. That's the bottom line. Um, and because he is so guarded and it's so difficult to gain access to. Uh, but you know, with, with guys and, you know, guys that, you know, from, from being out on tour for so many years and covering them and guys that I've met in the short time that I've been doing this, you know, I, I just want to know them as people, people are people, you know what I mean? That's, that's kind of the bottom line. Um, another real quick story. You'll appreciate this one. And this is kind of a little bit of transitioning to that inside the ropes type thing. So we're at the Wyndham and I'm on the range and Ernie L shows up with this big, enormous elbow contraption on, you know, trying to get into the, the top 125 and the in the uh, FedEx cup and everyone's mm -hmm. talking to him and they're like, you know, Ernie, like you're going to be able to play with that thing, dude. Like he looked like RoboCop. It was insane. You know, I had to take some pictures of it even because it was so nuts. And there's a guy by the bleachers. I went over to grab a drink. It was hot, like a one Oh two that day, you know, North Carolina in August, just stifling humidity. So I go to grab a drink out of the uh, containers there. And a the guy's over there. He's like, Hey man, can I, can I, can I get a drink? And I was like, uh, yeah, dude, whatever. It's fine. You know, I could care less. They're giving it to right. me for free. Why can't you have it for free? I've, I've been sure. in that position. You know, I've, I've been the guy on the range looking down and be like, how do those guys get down there? Like I should be right. down there. So, Hey, <laughs> I'm giving back. So I give the guy a drink. He's like, Oh, you're the best man. Thanks so much. Ah, no problem. 
And he goes, hey, 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 uh, take my flag. And I was like, well, I, 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 don't, I don't want your flag. No, no, no. Take my <laughs> flag and go over to Ernie and give him this marker and ask him to sign it. I said, I'm not. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> well, why not? He goes, you're on the other side. You have that badge. I said, I, I understand. And I said, and realize that with this badge, it means that I'm not going to be a moron and do that. And he's like, yo, you're a dick. Oh, what? <laughs> I was like, I and I just like stared at the guy. Like after I had just given him a water, probably would have died of dehydration. Now I'm the dick because I'm not getting his flag signed. As Ernie is working during a tournament. Uh, yeah, it happens all the time. I can't tell you how often uh, I get people yelling at me. You know, whether some people just want a high five because I'm walking inside the rope. Some people, you know, might even yell my name. They just. And they probably just want to say hi. I I tend to ignore just because it's just not worth it. There's there's very little usually that can that can go well from something like that. Um, I you know it's and and maybe you know maybe I should try to help out more, but I I just can't do it. You mentioned Collins before. I'll, I when I worked with Collins at ESPN, I mean he would he would walk out on the golf course. I remember like you know we would take like Wednesday afternoon like hey let's go like walk out or Wednesday morning let's go walk out on the golf course at Augusta. It's like you know, kind of take an hour off work and actually go walk around. We would walk out there and, you know, we get right to the first hole. And a couple of guys would go, hey, Michael, how you doing? And he goes, hey, what's going on? And he would talk to him for 20 minutes. I'm standing there, standing there. I'm like, ah, oh, this is valuable time. I don't I don't have 20 minutes of the day to kill at Augusta. Like, I, you know, this time is money out here. And so he would talk to him, talk to him. Finally, after 20, 25 minutes, says goodbye. You know, they exchange numbers and stuff. They walk away. I go, who's that? He goes, I don't know. Like, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know, but I'm gonna go play his golf course. Like when I when I'm in town wherever he I, go, I thought that was like old friends of yours that you ran it. No, no, they just said hi Michael. So I started talking to him. I'm like, dude, I I can't tell you how, you know, first of all, you're the nicest guy in the world. Secondly, that's like nothing I would ever do in my entire life. He's the man. Absolutely hilarious. Hey, you've you've never been chosen for the Masters lottery uh, the Monday after for the media, have you? My first year in 05. Did you? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, five. That's not who. That's not weird, is it? Who? Who is that? Uh, guy named Tiger Woods. I was the chip in on sixteen. Oh, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Yeah, ninety-seven, oh, one, five. Yeah. Okay. Um. Well, I mean, I mean, Steely, you're a cool dude, Noel, but I got to hear about the Masters first before I ask Jason about caddying for you. Uh, dude, tell me about it a little bit. I've been, I've been there, so I know. I know the course. I, I know how great it is. I know how there's not a blade of grass at a place and how amazing it is. But what's it like to tee it up there? Okay, so a few things. It has since changed. It has since, like, you are a member for the day when you get picked in the media lottery. You uh, use the champion's locker room. You have breakfast there. You hit some balls on the range, and then they take you out. You go play the golf course. Back in 05, it was do not show up a minute more than an hour before your tea time. When you get there, you take your bag and head straight to the practice screen where you are allowed to hit some practice putts along with the other 47 people who have been picked in the media lottery. When we call your name, you go to the 10th tee, you tee off. When you're done, you walk back to your car and you drive down Magnolia Lane and you leave. None of which is a bad deal at all. And we weren't no, complaining not, about that's it. That's not bad at all. Yes, but it, it was a little different back in the day. There's no warm-up balls. There's no anything. So as I mentioned earlier, 
at the time I was writer slash editor slash blogger slash everything else for uh, our golf coverage at ESPN.com. And so I, I mean, I would get to majors like that where I was working legit 16 to 18 hours a day. I mean, I was getting four hours of sleep a night. I, I could not do it anymore. I'm too old for that. But uh, back in the day, I was, I mean, I was working a lot. So you take the combination of being hunched over a laptop for 16 to 18 hours a day, uh, lived in Connecticut at the time. So I hadn't played in probably six months leading into April. That was just about the time when you'd start playing up in Connecticut, but uh, lived up there. So hadn't played in a while. And I was probably somewhere around a 12 to 14 handicap at that time. So I have been eligible back in the lottery for the last few years. I have not gotten picked. Um, I'm now a four something, five something, uh, live in Florida, play year round. So I, I feel like I'm a little bit better equipped to take on the golf course than I was back then. That said, Dan, last year, actually a year ago today, uh, did not get picked in the lottery, had a great backup plan in place, went and played uh, Palmetto Golf Club, which is where Kevin Kisner and Scott Brown, a couple other guys, yep, uh, make yep. their home. Great little golf course. And on the seventh hole, I made my first and only hole-in-one. And uh, it, it was it was so much fun. I was playing with uh, with Bob Casper. It was one of the uh, three other or two other guys in the uh, in the group. And, and uh, that's Billy Casper's son, of course. And Billy won the the Masters. And Bob's a great guy and uh, a former professional himself. And we get up to the seventh hole, and Bob hits one directly at the stick, bounces, bounces again, stops a foot from the hole, and we're all going, "Oh my God, you almost made one. That was awesome." I was the next guy up, hit one. Bounce, bounce, bang, right in the hole. And we get up there, and Bob looks at me and goes, man, I never stuck one to a foot on a par three before and lost the hole without having to give up a stroke. That's ridiculous. I, oh, that's yeah. insane. Yeah, so that's uh, – that I I would not – you know, that, it's actually a good question. Like, would I trade that memory for having played Augusta last year? My, I think my answer would be I have other chances to play Augusta in future years – I'm not sure I have any other chances to make a hole in one, so I think I might take that. Yeah, I can I can understand that. We talked about it on the pod a little bit and I put out a, a question on Instagram which got a ton of replies from people is what's the most amount of money that you would pay to play Augusta? And and maybe, you know, you talked about golfing degenerates before. Maybe I'm one of those, but I set mine at five grand for for around there because I think I could justify that as a once in a lifetime opportunity to play it. Yeah, um, I don't know if it's man, worth five grand. I don't. I don't think it is, but you know, I I know a lot of people who would. You know, it, it's based on how much money you have. I mean, we, if we want to do this the right way, it would probably be a percentage of your net worth. And so, would you pay one percent <laughs> of your net worth to go play there? Because some people, you know, hey, five thousand dollars. Yeah, that's no big deal. Like, let's you know, let's go tee it up. Here's the money. And other people, go, oh, I don't even have five thousand in the bank, so I can't do that. Um, but I, I would empty out my bank account. I'd pay a hundred percent of my net worth to go play there. So That's uh, a good I think point. it's percentage of net worth. And yeah, I, I'm trying to think right now. I'm, I'm doing some quick math in my head. And uh, <laughs> no, I don't think I would go as high as one percent of my net worth to go play Augusta. I, I think right. it'd have to be somewhere in the the point one percent range to uh, get me out there for that price. Yeah. Well, some people were sending me you know, DMs of man, dude, I'd easily spend 25 grand. I'm like, Whoa, like I, you know, you and I need to hang out more. That's the first thing that I get from that right. message is that we should, we should definitely play some golf together. But 
Good lord! I mean, for twenty-five grand, I can only yeah, I could I could play golf everywhere in the U.S. for an entire year, and, and honestly, probably play some better courses th- than that as well. Well, and people tend to say yes, I would do that to things that they don't actually have to do. So you know, of I, course, Golf Digest has done stuff before. I mean, I think it was like cut off a finger if you get to play Augusta, and it was like forty percent that said yeah, absolutely, I would well, do that. You, you put your hand down on the table. I'm going to take a knife and, and hold it to your finger. Uh, and say, okay, you're, you're going to get to play Augusta. Are you sure about this one? Uh, I want to see how many of those people go through with it because I don't think they are. Yeah, finger is very, very, very valuable. I'm sure it sells for much more than a round at Augusta on the black market. <laughs> um, all right, let's next go. Yeah. <laughs> Do a podcast on that one day. Um, hey, I, I got to, you know, you being real good friends with, with Brennan Steele, and he kind of let me – in on how you guys met at a concert, which, you know, to me, the clean cut image of, of Brendan with some of the music he listens to, I, I love it. It's such a great dichotomy. Um, but you, you're kind of into the same genres of music as well. Uh, give me a little bit on how you met him, but then also what it was like caddying for him on the PGA Tour. And, you know, what people I think miss too is, and what I missed too the first time I heard about that, is that was a final round as well of, of a... Yeah. a event played with the man himself phil mickelson um so yes, give me a little was. background on on you meeting brendan getting to know him and then caddying for him so i i got to know him this is nine years ago i think 2011 his rookie year it was one of his first events played at tory pines and final round he gets paired with tiger woods and so i was not there that week but uh he plays with tiger and afterwards is um is asked a whole bunch of questions by the media about what it's like playing with Tiger. Oh, he was great. Uh, you know, did you talk to him? Yeah, I talked to him all day. But they were like in 43rd place, T43 going into the final round. And so Steely made one little comment about, yeah, I don't think he was quite grinding as hard as he would have, you know, if he had been leading the golf tournament. And the next day, it's headlines across the internet. PGA Tour rookie says Tiger didn't try that hard. And it's like, and he's going, oh, my God, he's getting texts. He, you know, he told the story. We were on his podcast, the member guest podcast, uh, last week with uh, our buddy Dave Farrell and, uh, and Mark, who, uh, who runs it for him. And, um, and he was telling the story that he was getting text messages and calls from everybody like, dude, are you, like, trolling Tiger? He's like, what are you talking about? No, like, I had a great time. It, basically, of the 10 minutes worth of comments, it was taking, you know, this one little one, like, he didn't – he wasn't trying that hard. It wasn't like he was saying – no, he didn't try hard. It was just, you know, he, look, he was in 40-something place. He wasn't grinding like he would have if he was winning. I mean, that, that, it makes sense. And so a few days after that, I wrote something because this kind of blew up for him. I said, look, if we want players to tell us anything, to be open and honest, we can't rip them when they are. And, and you know, you kind of have to take them at face value and you have to put this into some sort of context. So, and this is one of the only times this has ever happened, but I got an email from him the next day saying, hey, Thanks for sticking up for me. Hope to see you out on tour soon. You know, really appreciate it. And so the next event I went to, I went and found him on the range and we started talking. And ever since then, I mean, uh, we have become good friends. We, uh, we talk a lot less golf than people would, people would realize that, you know, we talk football, we talk hockey, we're in fancy leagues together. Uh, we talk basically every other sport and life and other stuff, but we really don't talk golf all that much. I, I walk with him. Uh, a lot of Wednesday proams back nine where, you know, it's just kind of not much else to do and just hanging out. So um, we've got some great stories for over the years. And, uh, 
And yeah, so one of them is uh, I got to caddy for him. This was a couple of years ago at the BMW Championship. Uh, it was at Arana Mink. It was Saturday afternoon, and it looked like Sunday was going to be washed out. And his usual caddy, Christian Donald, um, had a flight home scheduled for Sunday night. And as I kind of approached them, the scoring area after their round, Steely was telling him, don't worry about it. You've been on the road for six straight weeks. He had a new baby. He was telling him, like, don't go changing your flight to caddy for me on Monday. Steely was uh, near last place on the leaderboard and couldn't move into the next week's tour championship. Like, just mathematically eliminated, had one more round left, uh, and just kind of didn't matter. You know, had to play it out. He wasn't going to withdraw or anything like that. But, you know, they were going to play on Monday, and it was just sort of a last round of the year. Um and and couldn't move up or anything like that. So I kind of walk into this conversation and Steely's saying, I'll find somebody. Don't worry about it. You don't have to caddy. And turns around and he sees me. He goes, Sobes, you want to caddy on either Sunday or Monday? You know, whenever the final round is. I go, uh, sure. And, and literally that was it. And so Sunday got washed out. It was the uh, week one of the NFL season and uh, sat around watching games all day and then come back on Monday, a soggy golf course and, I've got the bag and we can, we had Phil Mickelson and Brian Harmon in our group. We started on 10 The leaders, of course, started on one. Um, one of the cool stories that uh, Steely is really good friends and I've become uh, pretty friendly with Keegan Bradley. And so we're hanging out with Keegan's uh, wife uh, in player dining afterwards. And uh, Keegan wound up winning that day. So, you know, we're kind of around Keegan as well and kind of hanging out with them. So uh, really fun day. It was fun to caddy. Uh, Phil was great. Phil, uh, who I've gotten to know very well over the years, Phil just wanted stories from me. He said, you owe me some stories. If you're going to caddy with us, uh, you've never been around with us. And like, uh, I've heard all their stories before. I need some good stories. And I- I'm not sure I fulfilled my my duties with Phil on getting him some great stories. But we had a good time. And, and we really did. It was it was fun. And uh, my-, my career caddy scoring average, as I like to remind Steely, is 68.00, which, Dan, I'm guessing, I mean, there aren't a whole lot of caddies who've been fired after caddying players to 68. So I might be top 10 all time. I'm just throwing it out there. That was also his best round of the week, wasn't it? Oh yeah, of course it was. Which can obviously be attributed to only one thing because the only variable that changed was you. Absolutely. I mean, nah, he's got one of the best caddies out there. I can't even joke about it because Christian Donald is, he's Luke Donald's brother. He's a very good player in his own right. He's a great caddy. I can't even joke about like, oh yeah, you know, I, if he'd had me all week it, cause Christian is that good and he's that good of a guy. So I, I don't even want to go there and, and sort of uh, let people think I'm even a little bit serious about that. Um, last question, anything kind of cool inside the rope happenings that, that you can share that people would miss even if they're at a tournament or, or watching on TV? Oh my God. Uh, how long do we have? I, this is very much like the uh, like Phil asking me for a story when I was caddying, saying, "Hey, give me a story." I'm like, "You, like, narrow it down for me. Like, give, yeah, me, well, give we, me like um, topics, how about you know? how about how about let's limit it to one, and you don't have to say the the person or the player, the caddy or the player, but one kind of conversation between a caddy player that's not your own, that wasn't Brendan, that you were just kind of like, wow, that was that was kind of interesting, that was kind of cool. I'm trying to think, I have a terrible memory when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, it's also um, not I'll like give you, I'll give you either. <laughs> uh, I'll give you a good one. So this is the Honda Classic uh, just a, about a month ago, month and a half ago. And uh, Steely was actually playing with Tommy Fleetwood in the final pairing of the, the final round. And so I was walking with them for the whole day. 
and on oh, 12 or 13 at PGA National. Uh, Fleetwood is in the bunker. His ball's up against the lip a little bit. And um, he's talking to his caddy, Ian Finnis, and, and, he, uh, and Fleetwood's digging in. He's set. He's about to swing. And Ian says, hang on. I don't think that club can get there. And so Tommy stops. Tommy takes one more club. It was, you know, went from a nine to an eight or something like that. The eight then hit the top of the lip. And, you know, I was there. There was, you know, and I don't know being out on the golf course, like how much they've shown of that interaction on TV. I don't know, you know, what they've seen. Maybe they don't even show the shot. So you want to give people some sort of color on that. And so I said, you know, Tommy was about to hit. Ian called him off. They took one more club. That club hit the lip. And so I put it on Twitter. Later that night, Ian sends me a direct message. And I appreciate this. I'd, I'd rather him ha- confront me on something than just be stewing about it and hate me for the rest of his life. Um, so he sent me a message and said, mate, how could you put me out there like that? You know, that that's really, you know, I can't believe you did that to me. And I wrote back and I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't. I don't think I, that you understand. I didn't mean it as if like you made a mistake. I was just trying to give people like, here's the situation. Here's why it happened. Not that you did anything wrong. Not that Tommy did anything wrong. Just like I'm putting it into perspective. And after that, he was great. And I saw him a few days later. And I said, I went up to him and I said, Hey, we okay? Go, oh yeah, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. I read it wrong. My fault. Um, but yeah, that's one of those, you know, Hey, getting to see a player caddy interaction where look, I, Maybe maybe it was the the wrong move. Maybe you know he was right in it. The first club wasn't going to get there. He needed something more, and Tommy just hit a bad shot. Uh, but being able to see stuff like that from inside the ropes is uh, uh, it's pretty special because you know you kind of take it for granted that everyone can see and hear what's going on, and you really can't from outside the ropes. Right. No. There's always that that eerie silence inside the ropes at at any type of tour event. Um, Jason, look, I got for the for the stories for your insight. For everything that you've given us today, I want to you know just thank you for the time that that you put into us. And listen, do me a favor and, and let people know where they can follow you, where they can see your writings, where they can p- uh, kind of pick your brain on on perpetual odds on the Outlaw Tour going on now. Yeah, well, we're uh, we're grinding Outlaw Tour now. You can find all my stuff uh, at the Action Network, actionnetwork.com, or the Action Network app when they're actually playing sports. The app is fantastic for not just golf, but every other sport to, uh, like I said, to either follow your bets, uh, make you smarter about what you're betting, or if you're not betting, just make you smarter about what you're watching. So uh, we've got a lot of really intelligent people who are covering different sports. And uh, and then on Twitter, at Jason Sobel, T-A-N for the Action Network, Dan. Awesome. Well, Jason, I can't thank you enough, buddy. Enjoy the rest of the week and uh, take care. Thanks, buddy. Stay safe. All right, people. So either get busy golfing or get busy dying. Hey, what's good, podcast patrons? Dan from Leave the Pin here. Listen, if you want to look good on the course, if you want to hit the ball a mile and look damn good doing it, Gas House Golf is the company you need to get on board with ASAP. Gas House Golf, newest apparel company out there, making you look fantastic. Look, the shirts are fire, the hats are fire, everything they do, everything they touch looks great on the course. You want to stand out, you want people to notice you, want people to notice your game, get to gashousegolf.com. And right now, not only are they offering free shipping, they're also giving you an amazing 15% off code. Use our code, leave the pin, get 15% off all your purchases at gashousegolf.com. All gas, no break, Gas House Golf.